0: It seems like everyone always has an opinion about math and how math should be taught, especially to elementary students. With teachers learning and implementing new strategies, methods, and assessment plans, parents are often feeling left out of discussions about these techniques and as a result, rely on how they were taught as a visual model for how children should be taught math today. Research shows us, however, that things like rote memorization and solely abstract representations that we might have had as kids are not effective ways to develop mathematical understanding or build positive math identities. So how do we get this message across to parents? How do we get more parents involved in math discussions while deepening their understandings about the importance of things like math tools, math practices, and talking about math with their kids? Today's episode explores not only the why, but the how of engaging parents in Kids Math Talk. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, Elementary Math Coach and Kids Math Talk Founder. On the podcast, we're talking to the authors of the book, partnering with parents in elementary school math, a guide for teachers and leaders. Welcome to Kids Math Talk.
1: Desiree, thank you so much for having us here today. We're a big fan of your podcast and it is an honor and a privilege to be here. My name is Matthew Bayronovan, also known as Math with Matthew. And joining me here today is the co-author slash real author of the book, Dr. <laughs> Hilary Kreisberg. Hillary, tell us three exciting things about yourself.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Desiree, for having us. And Matthew, as always, for that wonderful introduction. I am the director of the Center for Mathematics Achievement at Lesley University, and I'm a professor in math education and a former elementary educator. And Matthew, tell us a little bit about you.
1: Well, I'm going to see your professorship because I'm an uh, associate professor no. <laughs> at two universities, both University of Massachusetts as well as Fitchburg State. And my my primary job is a K-12 mathematics coordinator. And Hillary and I have really bonded over the years, focusing most of our work on the idea of parents and this relationship between parents and schools, and in particular with mathematics. So we're very happy to share with you a lot of the research and work that we have done on that. So your listeners can help with that relationship between those two very important stakeholders.
0: Yes, we are all about educators and also parents and helping to keep that conversation about math going. And in this, your latest book, you all list four goals immediately, with the first being to comprehend the parent perspective with regard to their child's mathematics learning. And in the introduction, there's this discussion about defining roles of parents and educators in relation to the teaching and learning of mathematics. And we've been talking a lot about definitions on the podcast so that we can gain a shared background and understanding. So I'd like for you all to talk to us about some of these definitions. So first, how are we defining parents in this book? And then based on your research, how are parents feeling about math in today's world?
2: Yeah, so when we say parents, we mean guardians, caregivers, really anyone who supports math learning, either at home or outside of the school day. Uh, Before COVID, Matthew and I interviewed over 200 parents uh, of elementary age children across the country so that we could just better understand how they felt about the way we teach math today. And ultimately, our data showed that parents were feeling intimidated and frustrated, worried and confused. They felt like they couldn't help their kids with math because they didn't understand what they were doing, they were frustrated, they were feeling unintelligent, they couldn't do third grade math homework, they were worried their children were going to fail because of them, and they were confused because they didn't learn it the way that we have taught it. And so they don't have the language, the words, the tools to help their children.
0: In chapter one, you all talk about these four core wants of parents. So now that you've defined what a parent is, can you tell us what these four core wants are? And also whose role is it to involve parents in this learning?
1: So before we could really unpack and give suggestions to both parents and teachers about this relationship, we had to really figure out exactly what parents want. And through those interviews that Hillary talked about, we came up with these four core wants. Parents want to feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar They want to play an active role in their child's education. They don't want to hinder the process. They want to be on the same team. But in order to do that, they have to find a way to get those four core wants, being helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar.
2: Yeah, but they want to help us and support educators, but they just don't know how, right? And so that's where we as educators come in. I feel like, you know, we say this in the introduction, ultimately, the current reality is that many students have been positioned and, you know, whether it was inadvertently or not, as the chiefly responsible folks for educating their parents, where it really should be the school, the teachers, the educators.
0: Yeah, when I read that, it really hit me because that is so true. And I know when I was going through um, my undergraduate program, I didn't have anything close to this. We, We really never even talked about parents. It it was only if you had a a teacher working with you when you were a student teacher, if they took the time to talk to you a little bit about parent communication and parent relationships. But even then it was pretty inconsistent because unfortunately just wasn't our focus. When I was in an
2: undergrad program and I was told it's so important to involve parents, but no one ever told me how, right? I just kind of was like expected to go into the schools and do what I think is right. And so when I was a fifth grade teacher, I would just call home. I would I would do what I thought was right, but I had no idea what the impact was of what
1: I was doing. Many teachers don't feel Partnering with parents, they feel like it's the opposite, like we're working against the parents. They're not on our team. They're on the opposite team because they do things like show them the rote memorization approach or they say things like, oh, I hate math. I can't do it. So teachers feel like parents are not on our team. Right. So instead of trying to find a way to bring them, us on our team so we can work collaboratively, it's more or less like, oh, I'm just going to keep them out of it and I'm not going to get them involved. Worst possible idea.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking that if I were still in the classroom and I had a student teacher this year, this would be a gift that I would give to them so we could sit down and really talk about it.
2: Yeah. I think the book is really helpful in focusing in on what you need to do to partner with parents. And, you know, something that we're battling right now is like, what do you prioritize, right? Teachers are faced with so many different needs. And, you know, it's easy to purchase books on things that are directly math content. But we also have to remember that if we don't build those relationships with the parents, then the math content that we teach might be futile in in some sense, because we're not getting the support on the other side.
0: So again, I wish that this was something that I had when I was a pre-service teacher and I really enjoyed reading all of the book, but two chapters in particular, I keep coming back to. So one of them is chapter four, that's called exploring how to communicate with parents about math. And then chapter five, which is exploring what to communicate with parents about math. And you all break down how to use different tools for communication, and you talk about using student agenda books and using the school and classroom websites, email, and all these different technology apps that are out now that teachers use, and you give suggestions of what to say at different points during the year. And one piece in particular that I'd like to explore a little bit more is the structure of giving parent phone calls that's set up in chapter four. And instead of calling a parent and saying something like, "Oh, hi, how are you? Brooklyn is doing really well on our current unit," which is you know so vague and overgeneralized, uh, the suggestions given are much more intentional. And you all infuse mathematical habits into the discussion. So can you talk to us about why phone calls should be a part of a teacher's plan when they're partnering with parents? And what are some examples of what educators might say?
2: Sure. The way we look at it is partnering with parents is about developing relational trust and connections to the parents so that if something problematic does arise later on, that you already have this solid foundation on which to build your relationship, right? And we know that as the school year goes on, we get busy. And so we consider... Partnering with parents upfront, being proactive, really starting to build that relationship up front. And through a phone call is a really nice way to do it because when we write parents an email or send something home via writing, writing can be interpreted in many different ways. And so at least when I hear the tone of someone's voice, I can feel comforted. And I think that that's a really nice way to start the year off. Um, so you don't mince any of the words
1: that you're thinking about. And similar to the way that we encourage People to teach math using multiple modes of representation, we also incul, uh, encourage multiple mo- modes of communication, in that we want to not just say only phone calls or teachers should not only do emails, but communicate as many ways as possible because parents learn and understand and communicate in different ways. And if you show five different ways to communicate with them, it's more likely they're going to get the message as opposed to just doing a weekly handout only in English to your families. You're not going to be hitting everybody that way.
2: Right. And you know what? When we say... call home, Look, we're not just saying hi. And like you said, we're not just saying hi and, you know, your child's doing well. We're, we're asking you to use that phone conversation as an intentional moment to teach the parents about how to properly praise their children or just about some of the work that we want them to learn about, right? So for example, if we propose that teachers think about the mathematical practices or processes um, that permeate like all the grade levels, not the content in which we teach, but the manner in which, you know, mathematicians solve problems, if we can identify one of those to praise? So for example, I'm really, I was really impressed when so-and-so took their time and persevered through a challenging task in class today. Uh, Will you let them know that you're proud of them persevering through that challenging task? I think that's really important, right? We're teaching the parent to praise a specific behavior, persevering, and we're not just complimenting, we're giving the parent an action step. And it's not the proudness is coming from us, it's the parent is proud of this particular behavior. So now the child is, knows what to do better next time or continue doing to, to get that praise. Hashtag growth
1: mindset. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is, Matthew.
0: <laughs> I know some educators might be afraid that they're over-communicating, but it's not over-communication when it's that I liked your connection to the multiple modes of, um, of communication and connecting that back to the math practices.
2: You know, it's funny because when we interviewed parents, we asked them, you know, what is too much communication? And far none, most parents said, you cannot over-communicate with me. If I don't want to read what you're sending or I don't, I'll just ignore it. But I want to know that it's there so that I can access it. And I want to answer your phone call so I can hear something. So they want more communication. That's why we're in the place where we are.
0: I'm taking a quick break to remind Kids Math Talk listeners about all of the math, professional development books that are available through Corwin Mathematics at us.corwin.com. Many of the authors of some of the latest titles have been guests on the podcast, including the authors featured in today's episode. Want free shipping? Of course you do. Then use our special code KMTSHIP. That's KMT ship, all caps at checkout. Now let's get back to the interview. Throughout the book, um, everything that you all are doing is extremely intentional, even down to the graphics that you all are using to help identify the core wants throughout the book. And so, also throughout the book, you all give this distinction between "quote unquote" edgy speak and then the "quote unquote." Parents speak. So can you tell us what these are and why does this matter?
1: Well, within education, I don't have to tell you that there are so many acronyms that we use. And when we say it to each other as other educators, it makes sense. However, all of a sudden now you start using these terms with parents, with families, and immediately they pull back, shut off, because they either say, I don't feel intelligent. I don't know what they're talking about. It's over my head. So when we communicate with parents, two things, use language that parents understand, both educationally, and also not using language that they may not be able to understand. Through some of our research, we found that the average reading level of parents is approximately at a sixth grade level. And many times we communicate with them, not only using the jargon within education, but also using terms that they just don't understand. So bring it down a level, speak to them in parent speak, in ways that they understand so that they can be supportive. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do.
2: And I think it goes also like specifically in mathematics, right? Like we often use the word manipulative. Well, that word has multiple meanings. And if I'm a parent reading that written word, I have no idea what the heck you're saying. But as educators, I use that word and you're nodding your head. You've heard that word before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, And so it's really important that we just define for parents If my student is working on partial sums or partial quotients or partial products, these are not familiar terms to parents. And so that's what kind of what we deem as edu-speak. This is the terminology we use in schools, but for parents, they're not familiar with that. So help them understand that they're doing addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and offer that up because parents might have the question, but they might not either, they might feel embarrassed to ask the question even, or just like they think about it in the moment and then forget when they see the teacher even, or the next day. Well, and we found
2: actually a lot of parents said in their interviews that they're too embarrassed to ask. And so what they'll do is they'll go to Dr. Google and when they Google partial products, for example, how many different types of S- solution ways do they find, right? So now they're going to teach their kid what they think is right, but actually their teacher does it in a different way. And so it's, then it creates more of a mess. So the more proactive you are with your communication with parents, the better.
0: So I talked a little bit about the, the graphics that you all have throughout the book. And then going even deeper into the organization. You all have some reflection points for anyone reading it. And then you also have these apply it sections that help us reflect even deeper. And they help us think about implementation and moving theory into practice. And near the end of your book, you all have this reflection table for teachers to journal down their thoughts and action steps that they'll take tomorrow or next week or maybe even in a month from now. And some of the suggestions that you give are like family math nights and parent book clubs. And so what are some actionable items for anyone who's listening to take with them as they begin partnering with parents tomorrow and next week? So first
1: of all, I want to say that Hillary and I wrote the book together, but we did not do it in isolation because we reached out to math teachers across the country and the globe to get their ideas about what they have done in these areas. And we then researched it, incorporated it into the book, and we mentioned them throughout the book as well. So it's our ideas, but yet the breadth of it goes to about so many different educators. And to answer your question about what some things that you can do... Well, I think one of the best things that you said is, hosting math specific parent nights. That is so important, both from the idea of like a family math night, but also to give them an overview about what things they can do during the year to be supportive. Something else that we talk about uh, within the book that we think is very important is using strength-based language, the way we communicate with our parents, speaking in very positive terms in, in regards to the communication, the way that we do it. Another thing We like to start with a beginning of the year survey with parents to find out about them, what their thoughts are on math, what struggles they or their children might have. We do these pre-assessments with kids in the beginning of the year to find out where they are when they come in. Why not also do it? at the beginning of the year for parents. So our book has a lot of resources that you can immediately use, you can photocopy. And also we have a companion guide because the thing that we found best is that this is not necessarily a book that's best read in isolation. This should be a book that's read with a grade level team. This should be a book that's read as a book group within it because we have so many interactive prompts, discussions, as you mentioned there. So we have seen a lot of different grade levels and sometimes even schools adopt the book as they're reading uh, that they can do and learn together and then grow together.
2: And if what Matthew just said feels slightly overwhelming as you're beginning school or thinking about like, what can I do tomorrow? Then I would also suggest start thinking about your mindset. Do you truly believe that all families want the best for their children? Or are there some families that you believe are obstacles in their kids' way? Do you truly believe that all families have the capacity to support their children's learning of math or are there some families that you believe are incapable of helping their kids with math? So I think you got to start by identifying your mindset and once you've had a chance to reflect on it if you find that you have some deficit-based views then I'd start by working on that, right? We've got to make sure you cannot partner with parents if you don't believe
1: that there are that all parents are capable of the work. Presume positive intentions. That's what we need to do with parents. If we go into it thinking that, oh, I have to win them over, it's a negative thing, you will not be able to get that relationship. Go into it assuming, presuming that they want to be an active role. And I'll tell you, 99% of parents, they do.
2: I would say 100%
1: of parents do. And let's split the difference, 99.5%.
2: <laughs> I'll raise you to 997 <laughs> sold. <laughs> but it, there might be some people listening who already believe they're acting from an asset based uh, perspective, especially if they're listening to your podcast, Desiree, right? So if you're already one of those people and you do feel like you believe these things are true if at, at the core belief, your core belief, then I would suggest that you focus in on those four core wants that uh, Desiree mentioned before, you know, how are you going to be supporting families and feeling Helpful, intelligent, confident, familiar. So are you going to send home unit previews this year? If so, are they written in a way that parents can both read them and want to read it, right? There's two different pieces. Um, Are you going to survey parents to deepen your understanding of their mathematical experiences, like Matthew said, so that you can provide them ample support? Are you going to do the phone call home? Or if so, have you created a call log so that you can document these calls? And have you prepared what you're going to say ahead of time? I think there's so many different things you can do tomorrow. It's just a matter of you sitting down and planning it out and prioritizing, partnering with parents.
0: I'm thinking that in my own practice as a coach to add those questions into my bank of questions, so to speak, when I'm planning coaching conversations, because I don't we're just we're talking about partnering with parents. I I partner specifically with teachers, but we don't ever really talk about. How teachers are partnering with parents that that usually doesn't come up in our conversations because we're focused on student data or we're focused on you know something directly related to student learning. But this is
2: isn't it? We related to student learning. I think part of it, Desiree, comes down to like evaluations of teachers, and that's something that I think Massachusetts does really well. Um, but I'm not sure about other states. and that it, the teacher evaluation in Massachusetts actually includes a, a standard on family engagement. And so like, I think sometimes our coaching is so hyper-focused on content that we forget about all the pieces that bring the content together. And so I I agree with you. I think that coaches should be having conversations with teachers about how are we engaging in family support. And I think that that's also the job of leaders.
1: And also now more than ever, as we are coming out of COVID and going back into COVID again, the (laughs) communication is of the utmost importance. Not just giving information about we're going to be having a test on Thursday but helping the parents know this is what studying for math looks like this is how you can support your child these are some possible games that you can play with with your kids this is a specific area within algebra that maria or johnny is struggling in those sort of things now more than ever is stuff that parents absolutely want and need
0: well, you all definitely help teachers bridge this gap so that they're not feeling like lost and or drowning in this area and want to just put it off on the back burner because they don't know where to start. Everything that you need to get started is in this book. Thanks, Desiree. When you all were talking, it's Reminded me of the five practices framework, even though we're not specifically talking about that, but just still starting at that step zero to have your goal in mind to just be very intentional. And you have to plan ahead before you actually implement something. It can't, everything just can't be on the fly. There's so many decisions that need to be made ahead, ahead of time so that it really is, you're actually reaching the goal that you set out to reach.
2: Yeah. And I think you, you just nailed it on the head. And I think schools need to prioritize this. I think this is not something that we can do successfully in isolation. If I'm one teacher in a huge school and I'm the only one making this effort, my impact is going to be very small. So it's really up to the leaders to set this as a priority and to provide teachers time to do this work. So I'm hoping that this year, grade level team meetings, things of that nature can be dedicated to some aspect of how are we prioritizing partnering with families? What are we doing in turn? We have unit two coming up on multiplication and division. What are we going to send home before the unit starts so parents can feel at ease? And then how are we going to check in on how parents are feeling about both the math, but also how they're helping their, their children at home? So like it can be something as simple as that.
1: And I think that Corwin, uh, Corwin did such a great job with the book. And you talked about how you loved all the checklists and things Um, Their whole series of mathematical books that they have out are all phenomenal. And we are just thrilled to be part of that Corwin family uh, of books there and and have that relationship with them because they are really the gold standard for uh, mathematical education books.
2: If you're sitting there thinking about what's my goal this year, this is your goal. Prioritize partnering with parents. It's long overdue. Kids are at home and parents have to teach their kids now. And now it explodes, right? Like, oh crap, we should have talked to them sooner. We can't wait for another close down. We can't wait for another pandemic.
0: Let's just do the thing now. Change the system now. You all talk about systems in your book too.
2: Yeah. And and for teachers who are listening, who are like, oh my gosh, my school is never going to get on board with this. We, we offer in the book sections where if you're in an isolated uh, role, how you can try to be the change agent.
0: Thank you all for your time. Thank you all for writing this book because it's easy to read and it's just so needed. So,
1: so it's so glad that you got the book, read the book and had us on here uh, to be able to share a really a great experience. And uh, hopefully the message can be shared about the ideas that not only Hillary and I have come up with, but all the other educators who participated in the development of the book.
2: Ezra, thank you so much for having
0: us. This was a pleasure. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.